Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This woman was asking me, uh, you know, she's typing on her computer and she's asking me the question that like literally I broke down crying. She said, who is your emergency contact? And in that moment, I had no one uh, because at that time I was a CEO of a family business. Uh, my father and brothers were, were there in the business and I had basically initiated a, biz, a business divorce. Um, and I walked away from the CEO job of this company that I'd helped build and loved. And like this being CEO and building this company was like my identity. Like, you know, I was so career focused. And, um, and then two weeks later, my wife walked out on me. And so I had, I mean, I really had no one to even think of uh, for emergency contact. And I, I just started realizing. So here's the here's the common denominator is me in this whole situation. So where did I go wrong? You know, I've been reading these business books and leadership books since I was uh, like 12 years old, and here I am, like uh, a leader with no followers. How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Krista. Today's episode is all about communication, and we were diving into how he learned how to become a better leader by becoming a better communicator. FYI, we recorded this episode months ago. This was well before the murder of George Floyd. This was during the height of COVID-19 in New York City. We've since gotten to a place where we've flattened the curve, so I'm thankful for that. But the rest of the country is still on fire, unfortunately. But if you're hearing a lot of things that don't sound like they're current, it's because we recorded this a long time ago. However, the topic is still relevant. I hope you enjoy the episode, and I hope you check out his book. He's got a few books coming out very soon. And so make sure you sign up to his platform and you take advantage of the links that I put in the show notes. Another thing, I've been getting asked about the UID Collective. Yes, I'm so excited about it. The UID Collective is basically a resource I've put together that includes courses, includes PDFs, it includes any learning material you can ever think of on how to become a better culturally competent leader. And I'll also put the link to that in the show notes. For now, be great. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Krista Ungerbach. Now, he's a global tech CEO, author, and creator of a simple set of transformative communication tools called Talk Shifts. Before retiring at 42, Krista led a global tech company to 3,000% growth, five consecutive top Workplace Awards, and 99.3% employee engagement. Kristen knows what he's talking about. We're going to be diving into a lot of things we can remove 
for my vocabulary. And as you all know, communication is one of the best ways that we can actually connect across cultures. But a lot of times when we communicate, we are taking on those age old, tired habits that only further divide us as opposed to bring us together. So I'm really interested in hearing what Chris has to say. Welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here, Tayo. <laughs> you I got your name right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the listeners have, uh, it's funny, I'll get texts or, or tweets. They're like, hey, the person said Tayo. I'm like, it's okay. It happens all the time. But um, Tayo, <laughs> yes, it is Tayo. I'm, I'm very, very excited to, to have you on the show. And we could start off the podcast in multiple ways. We could start off with your personal story. We could start off with the quiz you had me take first. Uh, I don't know which one you prefer because, you know, I know that either way could go well, but whichever way we start, I do want to dive into your background uh, and well, then we can start there and then we'll talk about the quiz. Cause I, I mean, I think so the, so a big part of what brought me to this concept of talk shifts is that I had this unique opportunity to learn to lead in French and German as an adult when I moved to Europe to start a, our business in Europe. And I learned that, you know, well, you speak French, right? So French is like the language of love. And then I had to learn German, which is like the complete opposite of the language of love, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm convinced that even German men whisper to their wives in ears, like in French, right? (laughs) Because it's just not a, not a, not a language that, (laughs) that uh, is a, it's not a beautiful language, but it's so direct. And uh, my father was Austrian. He was an immigrant. Uh, I grew up in the U.S. and I didn't speak any language as a child. And as you know, many people who learn new languages, they do it as children. So it's it's an unconscious act. So I had to learn to speak French and then a couple years later German um, in kind of close succession while building a business and kind of learned to lead. So it gave me this really present sense of the words that I use. And... I uh, I remember sitting with my French teacher uh, the first time, and I was I was kind of speaking a little bit with a customer, the Cannes Film Festival, the Palais de Festival de Cannes, and um, I was speaking to them in French, doing a workshop, and, and then they actually I got a call from the French speaking salesperson on my team on Monday afterwards, and he said, "Christer, um, the people from Cannes called me, and they said uh, I've got some bad news for you, boss. They said don't." ever send him back here. His French is terrible. <laughs> and so I found this guy who was the considered like the best French business French teacher in all of Europe, a guy named Jean-Luc, um, who's based in Spa, Belgium. And I spent a week in his home. Actually, I spent a couple weeks in his home over the course of two or three years uh, doing like an immersive business French program. He said, Christopher, what did you say to the people? I told him in French, you know, he said, oh my gosh, you said, you must do this. You should do that. You should do this. And so he said, Christopher, I'm going to teach you business French. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to have these fill in the blanks phrases. And we're going to just, you only need to learn these things and then use them as like training wheels. And then (laughs) over time, you develop your own French yourself. And this is how I teach business people how to speak French by only learning five or 10% of the language. And so this was kind of the, uh, you know, my, my first foray into foreign languages, but it's, you know, what, 15 to almost 20 years later, it was also the basis where I was like, how can we teach people kind of a new language of leadership in, in their, in their native language. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that I did with them, I recall like going on the whiteboard and say, well, say Jean-Luc, so let's say I want to say something kind of soft. Like, you know, I have an employee that I want to work late and say, yeah. Yeah, uh, would you consider? Actually, we started actually strong. So I want to say, um, uh, so uh, 
I, you, you must work late or you need to work late. I, you know, and so then we'd say, well, let's, how could I say it softer? And then he'd say, uh, like consider, and he would tell me how to say the same things in French. So it was like translating the words that were already in my head into French, because that's the easiest way rather than trying to learn, um, you know, new, new vocabulary, if you will, in, in your native language. And then, uh, three years later, I did the same thing in German. We started with, you know, you must, you know, work late, you know, and I had like five or six levels going from like super, like, uh, would you please consider like maybe possibly working late or something like that. Right. And we got to like level three of soft and the German just said, yeah, you would never say that in German. Yeah, like German would just be direct. Like, you know, because German is just such a direct language. And it was what I found is it, for me as a leader, I was always very I was very direct and typically I wouldn't really use this soft language. And and German is kind of like as leaders, we need to as we adapt, whether it's different cultures and different countries or even like within the United States, you know, the way you deal in New York with people is much more direct, more like German. But if you're in the you know deep south, you need to be a little bit softer or in California or whatever. And um, and it was really difficult for me to kind of balance the what is the difference between kind of leading in a soft way with a soft touch uh, versus my traditional style, which was leading with kind of a you know more direct, assertive kind of touch. And um, as I as I moved to Germany, I remember I was in the UK, I was in London at a trade show at a networking reception, and I said, hey, I'm moving to Germany. And um, I had three different people uh, over the course of uh, like a two-hour networking cocktail reception, and they said, you know, this exact same joke. They said, oh, Germany is such a beautiful country, but there are so many Germans there. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, uh, well, what were they expected? I mean, it's Germany, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, it's because obviously, yeah, I think maybe the the Brits still have a little bit something against being uh, bombed. Yeah. yeah so it's gotcha. and uh, and working with Germans can be pretty challenging, right? So in any case, like this this kind of journey to the talk shifts was first informed by this kind of you know learning foreign languages and learning to lead in foreign languages, and then I found myself now this is like 10, 15 years later. Um, I say that I, I didn't really discover the talk shifts while I was learning these languages. Uh, I learned it, um, and and I didn't learn it while I was CI. I learned it at the um, I learned it at the YMCA while I was signing up for a gym membership. <laughs> And, uh, this woman was, um, this woman was asking me, uh, you know, she's typing on her computer and she's asking me the question that like, literally I broke down crying. She said, who is your emergency contact? And in that moment I had no one, uh, because at that time I was a CEO of a family business. Uh, my father and brothers were, were there in the business and I had, basically initiated a biz a business divorce um and i walked away from the ceo job of this company that i'd helped build and loved and like this being ceo and building this company was like my identity like you know i was so career focused and um and then two weeks later my wife walked out on me and so i had i mean i really had no one to even think of uh, for emergency contact and i I just started realizing. So here's the here's the common denominator is me in this whole situation. So where did I go wrong? You know, I've been reading these business books and leadership books since I was uh, like 12 years old, and here I am, like a, a leader with no followers. And it took me on this journey of kind of I threw out all the business books, and I yeah you know, said yeah I've got to I've got to find 
this kind of the secret to communication that I've been kind of missing all these years. And I went into all these like weird places, hung out with a lot of, you know, kind of new age people uh, trying to find, but I always had this kind of that CEO hat on, like trying to separate the new age BS from stuff that really could be used kind of in a business setting. And I feel that I, I, over the course of that time, I, I feel like I, I, I discovered what I call like a universal language that we can use for leading, not just in the context of business, but also for leading in the context of families. And um, as my, as you know, like why, why it's difficult to learn one language, you know? And so if we have to learn two separate languages, one for family and one for work, um, that, that takes a lot of time. So why struggle to learn two when you can, you know, invest all your time to master one. And, and that kind of is the, the the genesis of this talk shifts concept first of all thank you for going through that i I love stories like that because even with what you're saying it's clearly this turning point and you had several you know when it was the the family divorce and the unfortunate divorce in in your your marriage and then you had the other moment where you were learning french and people were saying this guy this guy this is not (laughs) He's not, what do, well, who did you send over here? But all those moments, what I'm gleaning from is, uh, from those moments is that you, you are very reflective. I don't know that that's what everybody would have taken away from that. You know, it can be easy to say something is wrong with everybody else, not me. But you said, well, I'm the common denominator. Let me, let me figure this out. So how did you learn how to be that reflective or that, I guess, aware of your ability to take ownership when you needed to? Hmm. I don't know. I think I was always that way. I think that, um, yeah, I, I remember, you know, just leading people like when, you know, if we ask people to do things, you know, in a work context and then they don't get it done. And I would always first ask myself, so like, what is it, what is it about me that this is not getting done? You know, yeah. is it the way that I ask someone Did, were they not clear did they not understand the deadline? Did they not understand what to do? And I don't know, maybe that's just kind of the way I was built is to always first look. Um, well, maybe here's where it comes from. I think partly it was the, I, I actually, uh, I read the, the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, kind of started reading on my 19th birthday. And uh, something I took away from that is that, you know, we're always responsible for kind of the, the outcomes that are in our lives, right? And so- yeah. I don't know. Maybe I think that's maybe where it started is I always look to myself first and before. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, we were talking earlier and I, I said the thing that I study, I study identity, connection and um, cross-cultural communication. So those things I've learned, it always starts itself, regardless of where you are and yeah. self-awareness of all that. And it, it's always interesting to to see other people either agree with you or have similar opinions of that because when I initially said it, I, I was based on an hypothesis that I noticed based on my experience. And then as I started to do the research, I started to see that it was, it was, it was everywhere. But speaking of research, you compiled a lot in your talk shift and I have my own talk shift profile. So. Yes. So like probably for the listeners, just in case, since we're probably going to cover some of these things, they can go to talkshift.com slash quiz if they want to take it. And I just noticed as yours came through, there's this nice 16 page profile and it's formatted like not very well because I think that the survey 
tool just upgraded their software over the weekend or something like that. Um, <laughs> so please, uh, I'm sure that'll be, I'm sure that'll be fixed no, before okay. the, the episode airs. But uh, yeah, so I saw that you scored in the top 50% of all the thousands of people that have taken this. So congratulations. Is that good or bad? I don't know. <laughs> 50% is not, I'm like, 50% is that, is that I don't know. It feels like half good <laughs> well so so here's the interesting thing so i i kind of created these you know I, I first i wrote the book uh which is going to be coming out in the fall and and then i was like well how can i create like a, a something that people can assess themselves and see you know how much they're going to possibly learn from the book and so i created i pulled like about 14 questions the quiz only takes like three minutes to take and then um and then yeah like a if you're a teacher, you would like be like, well, what would an A be like? What would it be? What would be a failing score? And I kind of added up the scores and I was like, you know what? I, and I took the tests like 10 different ways. And I said, I think a failing score would be below 47. And so the shocking thing is that the average score of all the people who have taken this test is actually 45.6 or something like that, oh, wow. which means which means the average score is a failing grade before I took a single you know response from someone else, which <laughs> hopefully is hopefully is a thing that the, the this book can have a, a a big impact on the world. Um, no, yeah, I mean I think it's, there's nothing that humbles you more where you. When you realize that uh, you have a lot to improve, I, I got a 52, which means there's a lot of room to improve, which is good. I, you know, I like to have a growth mindset. So yeah. when you said top 50, I was like, I don't know if I saw congratulations. I was thinking, uh, I need well, to I work on my uh, skills here. <laughs> I think that once you get kind of the top 50%, then it is, it is, you know, the, I, I probably need to work a little bit on the scoring uh, once I get this uh, book finished because I, I kind of wonder there's uh, I think that once you get above 50, it's it's still probably an A. I mean, it's still grading you based compared to everyone else who's taken it. So, yeah, there are people who get 60 or 70. The max score is, I think, 70 or something like yeah, that. So okay. but uh, but the, um, the 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 part of the the thing with the talk shift, the assessment and this is maybe the most important thing is uh, even more than how you scored yourself. And you probably, since you just took it before we aired, you probably didn't see this part yet, but there's a step two, which is allows you to actually get confidential feedback from people around you. Yes. So like I may think that I, you know, you know, one of the questions is uh, I talk more than I listen. And the, the research shows that most of us, uh, underestimate the percentage of time that we talk. Um, and, but so the more interesting and really more valuable step is actually to get that confidential feedback and see whether the people around us agree. And so I created the, I really created the assessment, not really as a kind of a quiz for a self score, but it was really to replicate kind of the third experience that was the the formative thing of the talk shifts. And so in 2011, I think, so I'd already been CEO for a couple of years. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to come across arrogant, but I was a fairly successful guy at that time. I mean, I'd help build a hundred person company. I was on track to graduate college from one of the best uh, business schools in, in the U S like at age 20. And here I was uh, in my early thirties at this uh, leadership seminar, like $5,000 leadership seminar. And uh, it was all based upon this guy in his eighties. Some psychologist had built this 360 assessment. 
And uh, for listeners who don't know, a 360 assessment is basically you just get confidential feedback, anonymous feedback from people around you. And you see whether your self-score it aligns with how other people see you. And I open up my score and my score is 199 out of 200. And I'm like, who is the good leader now? And then this guy, Dr. Bell says, hey, if your score is close to 200, that's not a good thing. <laughs> and so I pin the scales and I was like, oh my God. And so this was the day that I found that I was kind of a jerk. I mean, I knew I was direct and I knew I was tough. And I was raised by an Austrian who spoke, you know, German as a child. And it was just a, it was an eye opening moment for me. And one of the things, you know, there's a lot of criticism of 360s in corporate America uh, and, and for good reason. I think that I was, I was actually on a TV show a couple of years ago uh, doing an interview about how to kind of tame toxic bosses. Um, and uh, in the green room, uh, another woman who was a guest on the show said, what are you talking about? And I'm like, ah, toxic bosses. She goes, oh, I have a toxic boss. <laughs> and I said, well, what did you do? And, you know, so she said, well, what do you do to fix, to change this? And I said, well, do a 360. She goes, oh, we did one of those. And uh, uh, nothing changed. Why did nothing change? Well, because no one really was honest because the HR department was going to see it. And we thought we were, he was going to come back and he, you know, he was going to, you know, we were going to have repercussions. Right. So I built this quiz purposely in a way that you can get that confidential feedback from others and you're, you know, the HR, your boss, no one's going to see it. It's for your eyes only. And so when you tell people, hey, you can give me this confidential feedback, it's not going to affect my career. It's not my boss is not going to see it. It's really for me to develop myself and develop my communication. But we took one step further, and this is what this Dr. Bell who did the assessment, uh, the most powerful thing of what he did was that he didn't just include people at work. He asked people to include family members. So, as you know, as I think especially people are married or have you know adult children, often our family members are a little bit more direct with us about <laughs> what we can do to improve our communication than maybe our coworkers, because our family members have so much more to gain by us improving our communication. You know, uh, if I'm a leader at work, you know, my employees can always leave and go to another company, but it's not so easy to leave a family, right? Yeah. So, I really built this. Uh, quiz to help people transform difficult relationships, not only at work, uh, but transform the difficult conversation that's actually affecting them at home. And it's it's one of the things that's most rewarding for me is when I see like a husband who takes it or a wife who takes it and they ask feedback from their spouse and and I can see that like the their results and there's a way that I ask them through the thing to compare their results and start a conversation about their words um, that this quiz that takes three minutes to fill out online can start to create a shift in someone's communication and in their relationship. Now, I mean, now we get like thousands of, thousands of responses per month, so I don't have time to like, you know, see the responses rolling through. But um, that for me is fundamentally this thing about the talk shifts is creating a universal language that people can use to uh, reduce frustrating relationships and communication uh, that crosses both work and home. Well done. Well done. I mean, I I, I enjoy the questions, and and I, I based on the talk shift, and we, we can go through the profile here. There are a few 
words that you bring up here. You talk about, you know, the use of the extremes, always, never, the only, the you. I yeah. feel like I feel that it should and need. And it did remind me because I was watching a talk with you while doing research. And I remember while taking a test, I was like, this is like uh, John Gottman stuff. And then you said it in your talk. Uh, in the It is. Because, yeah. yeah, I clicked uh, in your quiz results. There was a link to the keynote. I was like, oh, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that, that was okay. that was kind of the genesis of why I saw this, you know, I mean, this thing with Dr. Bell and the 199 out of 200 was part of it. Uh, but when I had this kind of business divorce and 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 simultaneously a marital divorce, um, yeah, you know, I was reading a lot, I read a lot of Dr. Dr. Gottman's stuff. Uh, in fact, I talked to his assistant at one point because I was hoping that my wife would go to spend time with him one on one with me, and um, and. One of the things that struck me, you know, since, you, since you're familiar with his work, so he's able to predict uh, marital divorce with like 90% accuracy. I think it's 94% accuracy based on watching like a 20 minute conversation between a couple. And he looks for four specific communication patterns. And what struck me is that when I went through my relationship with my father, who is essentially my boss and own, still owns the company that, that I was CEO, and every other failed relationship with like a business executive or salesperson that I'd fired over my career, those same four communication patterns were present. So these things that he's using to predict marital divorce predict really frustrating relationships everywhere. And so that was a, you know, a big, big part of the, the inspiration, at least research-based inspiration for these kind of talk shifts. Yeah. No, I love this. So what, what are these four things just for the audience to get? So, it? well, one is criticism. Uh-huh. So, um, the, which is also, which is, gets to the heart of this. You always, you never like yes. you always, like, you know, it's like, well, I do, I really always do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you always show up for late for meetings or is there maybe like one time, you know, you're on time. So, um, so criticism, um, I'm going to do, so stone, stonewalling, there's this defensiveness, contempt contempt and defensiveness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's so funny to you saying this because I remember I I was in a toxic relationship, uh, last year and I remember I was doing everything that I could to just figure out to to save the thing because it just seemed like no matter what we were doing it, it we were always bringing out the worst in each other and yeah. i started doing research that's how i got into dr john gottman and mm-hmm. you know it, the relationship didn't la- uh, end up lasting but because i realized that the, the, there were a lot of other things that i couldn't fix with the communication thing but what it revealed was there those four things were happening consistently now the fact that they were happening, it was great to realize those things were there, but they couldn't stop happening because of other internal things that, um, you know, I, I guess we both individually needed to work on, which is mm-hmm. part of what you're saying here. It's, it, you know, there's a difference with having the mirror shown on you, but sometimes if you can't really see the, the issue and address it, it becomes a, a, real, a real big problem because you're, you're not really getting to the root of the issue. And, and so did, did your girlfriend, did your girl, was she in a professional career as well? No, she was actually studying for LSAT. Uh, okay. so, and I, and I was, um, I was the one, so she had taken some time off of that and I eventually had to, to, I eventually, I was the one that broke up eventually because it just kept happening. It was one of those things where it was a cycle, a cycle. And then we had tried multiple times mm-hmm. to, to work something out and 
it, it would just always be the same sort of thing where defensiveness would come up. At least on my end, I found myself defending myself a lot of times. And yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. She had a lot of contempt and criticism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes yeah. any sense. And so I was on the, I was on the, the stonewalling and... Uh, and defensiveness side, because I was like, wait, what is all this coming from? And I, then I was just like, I'm not going to say anything anymore. I was stonewall. And then she just criticized, 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 and then contempt. And I'm like, <laughs> and yeah. so it was just a weird cycle. And I was like, okay, Gottman. Uh. <laughs> that, that, that was, that was when, I, when I'm writing the book. So part of the reason I wrote the book is I, I wrote it so that two people can actually read it together. Um, Let's say I didn't actually originally write it that way. I actually, I, the last version a year ago, I wrote it that way and I actually read it to my father, the, 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 the last, uh, whatever the, the previous iteration. And it was, it was actually the turning point in the, the transformation in our relationship. And I remember my father, I said, you know, I said, he speaks German as his native language. And so his eyesight, he's in his seventies, almost 80 and uh, his eyesight is not very good. So he can't actually read. I actually, you know, like you read that Tuesdays with more, I, I like verbally read it aloud. And there were a lot of, there's a lot of kind of really deeply personal stories in the book mm -hmm. um, that are not necessarily the kind of things that most CEOs of companies would write in a book. And, um, and, and, and there's some, there's some tones about uh, our relationship. So it wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing to read him, right? He didn't, he didn't necessarily want to hear it. Um, but at the end he said, I had no idea the impact that my words had on you. And, uh, it was, uh, and so I had the idea that like, what if this book could serve as a catalyst for two people to kind of shift their relationship? And, that, and that's when I decided to rewrite it again, to actually take it to kind of a different purpose. And so I see this book as really, especially for two people who are both in kind of, you know, in the works that both kind of come from a corporate environment. Um, many times it's women who have a, who have kind of a hard charging, uh, you know, professional um, there who are in a relationship with a hard charging driven man. And they're like, uh, they want to kind of bring out the softer side to complement the kind of hard skills that uh, that for many of us as men are much more natural at, um, and and that men want women to have a better sense of the hard side, the you know the or let's say the more direct side, and, and so the part of the exercise that I encourage people to do in the book is actually to read like physically aloud the same thing I did with my father physically read it aloud to one another. And uh, I've had a couple people as beta readers who have done that and just they've said they just they've broken down in tears. 
And, uh, and I never thought that I would read a, uh, write a business book, uh, that would bring people to tears. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that it can, it can have a, an impact on people's lives in ways that I never anticipated. Let's talk about the, the business aspects. Uh, I, I want to dive into the things you learned from your father, because we yeah. were talking about the idea of a toxic boss and having conversations with you it seems like you don't believe that they're toxic bosses they are what toxic communication styles yeah i think that yeah as i said uh they the, I, I for many years i kind of thought my father was a toxic boss and like put me in kind of a I, I realized now that that put me in kind of a victim mindset and uh and now i feel a much more productive way to look at it. The way I look at it now is that there are no toxic bosses. There are no toxic people. There's just toxic communication between two people. Mm. Well, yeah, well, you know, you speak French. So, you know, I, so I was in, I was in Germany and when we first started our, uh, no, sorry, in France, when we first started in France, we had this, like a team of four people and we served customers in English, French, Spanish, uh, Dutch, and German. We actually served people in more languages than we had people. <laughs> and, uh, and so we all, like my criteria was we, everyone on the team must speak three or four languages. And of course I'm the only one who didn't speak any other languages at the time. Um, cause you know, leaders should walk the talk. No way. <laughs> First of, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is so funny to hear. So it, at the time you said as the CEO of the company, other people need to speak more languages than you speak because that's how you felt like you would connect. That is so interesting. I'm I'm curious about I'm just curious about that because I you know I I'm I, what what was the thinking behind that before you realized what happened? So when we started up in Europe, we started up with four people, and I didn't speak French and German at the time. I made a commitment that I before I leave, I will that I will learn French and German as quickly as possible. Yeah, but knew that if we're going to hire a fourth or fifth person, that we we need to have everyone speaking three or four languages. Right. So it, it, I'm joking that it wasn't like walking the talk. It was just a practical, right? So, <laughs> but, I, but as you've probably seen dealing with so many, and probably many of your listeners who deal internationally is like, it was, it was just fascinating to me that we'd be like a company happy hour, even like that you could see someone who speaks German, French, English, Spanish. And like, it's like their personality changes sometimes when they switch between languages. Right. Because they're, their their words. I, I saw like, you know, tough as tigers, like Germans that would like just become like little kittens when they switch to English because they're like, you know, the it's it, just the it's almost like your personality changes. Well, so so maybe it isn't our personality. It's changing. It's just our communication. Yeah. You know, and there, there's this thing. So if someone like uh, like a lot of the audience, some, someone like me or someone who grew up in multiple parts of the world, we do this thing called code switching where depending on who we talk to, you know, we, we might have a different way of talking or, you know, yep. a different accent comes out and there's a different personality. And then, and then obviously the, there comes the nuance of the context of the culture behind that. And that is communicating, you know, because yeah. I know I know I, I would never call my dad by my by his first name. It's that's not what that's not how we communicate mm -hmm. in Nigeria. But here, one of the first things I had to learn, it was in college was to stop saying Mr. This, Mrs. That. And like, just call me Kevin, uh, call me, call me Mary. And I was like, what, are you sure? <laughs> we yeah. are not, I'm not in the military. That's what they would say. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I found myself doing that, but that's what's happening in communication. So the thing that I love about you and your book is that you, you're really reminding people that the shift is something that's active. It's not, 
you know, fixed in. You have to always be looking for ways that, you know, the a shift can be applied. And hopefully the other person is doing the same. That's why you said you want two people to read together. So yeah. it, it's mutual. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like it's really it's just it comes down to our words. Right? I, I, one of the things I realized is that um, is that through this journey is that I, 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 don't, I, I thought my heart was yeah, I always thought my heart was in the right place. But I realized, you know, I realized that my heart was in the right place, but my words were not. And I've dealt with a lot of uh, toxic bosses or, or just tough bosses because I, I don't like um yeah, like and what, yeah. what I realized is that, and, and, and I myself was a difficult boss. Uh, maybe even some people would call me a toxic boss during some days uh, in the early 2000s. And, but there was never a single day that I woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror and said, you know what? I think I'm going to be a jerk today. And there's, I, I don't think there's any leader out there. I mean, maybe a sociopath that really wakes up and says, you know, I think I'm going to be a jerk today. The real challenge is that people just aren't aware of how their words land on people. And you, you kind of started the conversation. I, uh, the other thing that I created this kind of talk shift quiz, one of my kind of side goals was how could we create a quiz uh, or the assessment that an employee who works with a toxic boss could potentially use to transform a toxic boss from below. And so how do you do it? Well, you take the quiz yourself and you say, hey, I did this. And I say, hey, boss, um, would you be open to giving me feedback about my communication using the talk, the, the talk shift assessment? And what we found is that when people give you feedback on your words, they tend to start to think about their own. Mm. Mm. So that's so true, because I think about it with uh, mentor mentee relationships. Or whenever you take those couple quizzes, whether they're they're cute or they're therapy based, you yeah. find yourself that third party element of it sort of makes you more open. You're like, oh, maybe I could be better with that. So, so that was kind of one of my side things is to to give, and I, and I said the word toxic bosses like four times. I should like you know what is to give people who are in frustrating relationships, whether it's in a marriage or whether it's with a boss or a coworker or a customer or whatever it is, yeah. to give them a tool that they can use to start a conversation about their words, the ones yeah. they're saying, and the ones they aren't, because often it's like it's just as much usually broken relationships and business and family are just as much about the words we're saying as it is about the words we aren't saying. I, one of the things I, uh, I wrote in one of the early versions of the book, uh, was that behind every broken relationship is often an unsurfaced secret never shared. <laughs> you hit it the nail on the head. I, I think a lot, I, I actually would probably venture to say that most of the communication is probably uh, unspoken, unsaid. I think a lot of body language, a lot of microaggressions, a lot of things that we don't see, you know, they, they go unsaid. Maybe because we don't think they're big deals initially, and then they start to build upon each other. And then normally, if you were just in their relationship, you wouldn't have reacted that way. But the more yeah. they stack up, when it happens in work, I mean, it's simple, like people who are leaders, like, yeah, or coworkers, like we notice things about other people. And then yeah. we con we conclude ourselves. Oh, I can't tell that person that because they can't handle it. Well, you know what happens if I sit on and I say, you know, I can't tell you that because you can't handle it. 
I lose a little bit of respect for you in the process. And at some point that's going to, you know, we, we add up all those little losses of respect and whether it's again in a, in a business or a personal relationship and, you know, a lot of bosses, I, I had plenty of times where I was like, ah, oh, I can't tell that. And like, sometimes one of my top executives was the chief operating officer of one of the largest uh, technology consulting firms in the world. I have no idea why he decided to come work for me, but there were times that I wanted to, I wanted to tell him things. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I can tell him that that might just be too tough for him to hear. Well, that's, that's an unsurfaced secret never shared. So this is something I think about. So think about parents and kids, right? Oftentimes, you know, we've seen those shows or maybe if anyone's a parent here, you've heard people say, I hate you, mom. I hate you, dad. But what's happening there is you you, you as the dad, you're not thinking that that kid actually hates you. You're not going to say, get out of my house, son. Never come back. (laughs) You said well, you're just thinking, maybe, I said that to my six year old once, but yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but, but I'm sorry, six year old. But uh, I'm thinking about it. But there's some rationale in your head where you you realize that this is coming from somewhere. And then maybe after cool heads prevail, you, you, you have the conversation. But if that's in any other dynamic, like the workplace, for example, it's you're fired. Get out. Never come back. Don't come back. And, and so there's a certain element of grace where I guess sometimes we. We uh, this I, I always say this we judge people by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm-hmm. So, True. Well, I wasn't you know I, that's not what I intended. But then other people are like no never you you messed up that's it it's done that's yeah. how I call you forever. Well, you brought up the parent child relationship. So there's actually and like your listeners are gonna be like Willie stop talking about this damn quiz. Oh, I don't know if is am I allowed to say that? Um, no, no, you can, you can, you can use any language you want. Yeah, uh, I usually prefer not to. But the so so there was actually the uh, when I for the first time the precursor to this kind of talk shift assessment. Uh, I never I didn't do it in like a work setting. I actually did it with my seven year old. And at that point, it was called the Father's Creed. So it was a series of 10 statements. And I said, I wonder, you know, obviously I had a very difficult relationship with my father. And I said, I don't want to recreate this with my own son. So if I could, what if I could create a list of 10 things and I could basically ask my seven-year-old son, and I have a, and I have a at that time I had a nine-year-old daughter. So I ask my children on Father's Day once a year to basically rate me as a dad, like a 360 survey for a dad. And so I, I sat down, I had read this, I said, Hey buddy, I'm going to, I'm going to read these things. And I, I had it like, actually I had it printed out. You can download it at like the father's creed.com or something like that. And, um, I'm just going to ask you these questions, buddy. And I'm going to ask you on a scale of one to 10, how am I doing on that? And so you, you're going to recognize some of these statements because some of them went into the, the talk shift assessment. So like I speak more than I listen or, I listen when you speak and you'd be, you'd be amazed what a seven, what you can learn from a seven-year-old boy. I mean, certainly you can learn even more from a 15-year-old. And, but the point was that by giving our children and basically creating a framework, um, uh, that, you know, I made commitments like, you know, he said, dad, well, you know, you don't, you don't always listen to me because a lot of times you're on your phone. Like, oh, yeah, okay, so, hey, I'm going to commit that I'm going to set my phone aside. And I wrote it down on the worksheet, and, like, we pick up that worksheet every Father's Day. And now this is the – this Father's Day will be the the third or fourth time I've done it. And um, But it was kind of this thought of 
part of the talk shifts concept is applying best practices from the business world to create great families and applying best, you know, the best research from the relationship world to create great leaders. And, um, and so the, the, the last, the last question on the list, which is the only one. So the, the, what I wanted to do is say, what if I could create a list of nine or 10 statements that you could use and they, you could use with an employee or you could use with your child or you could use with your spouse and they're the exact same statements. And when you look at them, there's only one out of the 10 that's different is, uh, you know, I, I was a divorced at the time and I asked my son, um, and this was probably part of what led to having a good, uh, marital divorce. As I said, uh, what were the exact words? I think it's, um, I, uh, I treat your mother with respect and kindness, even when she's not around. And so I can conclude that I, you know, as you said, in intentions versus actions, I can say that my intentions are to treat his mother, my now ex-wife with kindness and respect, but I'm asking him whether my behavior actually shows it. And so I'm actually, uh, yeah, basically using the people around me in my family or potentially people I lead as an accountability, um, so it's one thing to do a 360 in a corporate environment and you get the, like everybody fills out a little online quiz or survey or whatever, uh-huh. but it's another, it's another thing to sit face to face with someone and say, how am I doing on this on a scale of one to 10? Be honest. Yeah. And if you want if, you, if there's one thing that you want to do to become a better parent and a better leader, you can do the leader's creed challenge or the father's creed challenge. And, um, and it's a, it's a step, um, in the right direction. I got to say, I, I really admire your approach to life. You, you are very vulnerable, very authentic, but <laughs> you're not afraid to use yourself or your story as an experiment. It's something, <laughs> that's something that I relate to. And, I, and I'm saying this because I, 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 I you know, you, I know you've seen this in, in many uh, walks of life. Not many people are willing to actually do that or even accept that they are part of the problem. That's, you know, we're extrapolating now into this. This episode is going to come out probably like closer to your book, I guess. But I, at least at this point of recording, we are in a COVID-19 situation. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want the audience to understand the context of the question. And a lot of what, I, I don't know if you'll agree, what I'm seeing is you can see a lot of the leadership crisis being exposed, whether it's on a government level or on a company level or anything, where a lot of people haven't prepared for other types of of people, other mm-hmm. people with different backgrounds, and now, and, and you're just here in an ambulance, right? I'm in New York City. Yeah. That ambulance is very ominous because it means something is happening, right? It's not yeah. police or anything. It's because New York City is the epicenter of, of the COVID-19, and many people are overrun with uh, uh, the hospitals. The essential workers feel like they're not compensated well. Congress is fighting whether they should give people, uh, you know, twelve hundred a a month, and even that system is three three weeks away at this point. So we're just seeing a yeah. lot of leadership things at different levels. Where in America, right, the 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 the, uh, the most advanced country, people are like, "Whoa, how do we not prepare for this?" Yeah. I'm so curious about what your thoughts are with that because this is just a mirror. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> Uh, the only thing i'll say is that uh um so 
Well, I don't know. I, I, there's certainly there's certainly an element, uh, certainly a large. Well, like, like if you believe the polls, there's somewhere between forty and fifty percent of the Americans who would classify our president as a toxic boss. And I don't like to talk about. And we talked. I don't know if this is before the recording cut out, but I talked about compassion as one way. And so when I see, I, I, honestly, I, I see when I see President Trump, I see a lot of dynamics. Um, I, I see, I, I see that I could have become someone like that because I see how much pain that um, from that I can only assume stems from Donald Trump's relationship with his own father. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, admittedly, uh, I I live through a lot of that pain with my own. You know, there's this. Uh, I wrote this thing uh, over the weekend, actually. It was just kind of something that I wasn't sure I was going to put in the book. But if you ever lived in the shadow of someone, it's difficult. And when you live in the shadow of someone who uh, doesn't give you positive feedback, it can can really it can really warp a child. Um, and uh, and the attention seeking behavior, and when you don't get uh, positive feedback from your boss at work or your parent, um, then it shows through in trying to find ways to give yourself feedback. You know, and it, it's, 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 it's sad in some ways to see someone standing in the Rose garden and saying, Hey, uh, I did such a good job on that. And I did this. And so I, I look on that with compassion because I know what it's like to never be told. <laughs> good job. And I suspect that Donald Trump's children's is the cycle is probably repeating itself once again for another generation. Well, then that's why your book, your book is important. Then I, I, like, like I was saying earlier, and you were saying a lot of these things are unconscious. And if we don't have a mirror to reflect back <laughs> to us, what's happening, maybe to make us pause or to say, Oh, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the cha- I think the challenge, and this is what I saw with my own father, is I think there's also a there's a there's a there's a point at which you get. And what I hope to achieve with the book is to catch people before it's too late. And I, admittedly, I think I was one of those people that I was fortunate to to become aware of how I had some of my own toxic behaviors or destructive behaviors. I've started to become aware of them in my thirties. And then, you know, with this kind of, uh, simultaneous business and personal divorce, I kind of was forced to really kind of look in the mirror. But the challenge is when somebody gets into their sixties or seventies, if they start to become aware of how their words and actions have affected people around them, imagine, Imagine what it'd be like to somebody told you when you're 80 years old that you've been walking around with your zipper undone for the last 70 years and all the embarrassment and shame of people who may not even be alive that you can't apologize to. And I think that there's a psychological thing that it probably just becomes um, maybe impossible for someone to actually recognize once they get to a certain age. And uh, there was something I wrote in one of the earlier versions of the book is that um, I used to always think that my job or what I always hoped that I could get my father to change. Like, like my job was to show, uh, show him a mirror, right? I mean, you said the word mirrors to show them a mirror of like what, what, what his behavior is. And I realized that at some point that there was a person who worked for me who had a parent who had Alzheimer's. And uh, he told me that he went in and uh, his uh, his mom 
who would say, oh, Bob, Bob, Bob. His name wasn't Bob, right? And, and he would say, no, 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 I'm Jim. And she would get really, really flustered. And he, and, um, and he, and then finally, like the third or fourth visit, he finally said, yeah, yeah, mom, I'm Bob. And, and, but he, 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 he was able to have a enjoyable conversation with his mom when he, when he said, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm Bob. And it made me realize that sometimes at a certain age or a certain stage in people's lives, sometimes showing love is holding up a mirror and helping maybe the tough love, right. And helping them to see what they can't see. And in other cases, sometimes compassion and love is holding up their mirage. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a great metaphor. Holding up their mirage. Well, for people to look through mirrors and maybe mirages, where can they find your work and uh, your book? Uh, you can go to Christer, Christer with a K dot com, uh, or you can, if it's easier, since we've been talking about it, you can go to talkshift.com and that'll redirect to my website. Yeah. And of course, you can take the quiz and use it to maybe transform a boss or a relationship in your life at talkshift.com slash quiz. Yeah. Okay. No, I'll, I'll make sure I'll put that in the show notes. And I, re I really want to thank you for coming on. But I have a uh, final question for you. I know, of course, before, by the time the episode's out, we'll, we'll have a link to the book as well. So I, I know what it's like with the, the book process where you, you do the, you do the, you do the press ahead of time. This is the best way, by the way, do the press ahead of time so that, you know, it, it, it all times lines up with, uh, with the book, but I'll make sure I have the link to the book as well. Yeah. So they, they can purchase the book. But the last question that I always ask is my mission statement reframed as a question. So Krista, how do you use your difference to make a difference? One, one thing that comes to mind is that uh, I believe that I was just being a reasonably successful CEO in a family business and going through this simultaneous business and personal divorce just gave me a perspective that very few people have. And I think that I always believed, and I think most people believe that there isn't really a universal language of leadership that you can use in both contexts. And the reality is if you're leading a successful family business, it is impossible to lead a successful family business without leading a family. And so why learn two languages? And, and I, I think maybe kind of going back to the other side is that learn, having to learn to lead in two foreign languages as an adult versus the unconscious process of learning a language as a child, uh, just I think is maybe just gave me a, a unique perspective on, uh, on, on how communication affects uh, us in all walks of life. So. I would say so, my friend. Thank you so much. That is a very, very uh, interesting response to that. I, and it makes sense. The learning different languages and the, the thing that really stuck out, stood out to me was leading a family business also means you're leading a family. And that yeah. separation of that can cause a divorce. And so here we are. Huh. Well, thank you for sharing. It's been a real pleasure, Krista. This has been a wide-ranging conversation. In many ways, unexpected with where we went. But, yeah. But Although most of, most of that disappeared into the ether, right? <laughs> well, you so. know, I think I'll be able to recover some. And for those listening, we, we tried recording and it stopped recording at uh, several moments. But hopefully that made its way into the interview. But um, 
No, it's, it's been it's been really fun getting to get inside your head. And thank you for being so forthcoming. Well, the, the really deep stuff that got cut out, my intention is that the first book is going to come out in August, which is really more of a, a business book. Yeah. But, uh, you know, my intention is to have a much deeper book on how talk shifts kind of apply more broadly in relationships as a follow-up book. So maybe we can come back and we can talk about all that stuff that uh, disappeared into the Skype ether. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to have that. That This is this – is- what I love to do, I love to have people like yourself uh, educate us in these different things. So, yeah, it will be a real pleasure. Cool. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming. And till next time, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.